culture. 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 Equality, equity, and justice. Mm -hmm. Religion as culture. It's hard to define. Belonging. I would get passed over. Conflict. Conversation. You have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Celebrate differences. Compromise. Community. Cooperation. Culture. Mm -hmm. Culture and belonging. Welcome to the Culture and Belonging podcast from Troy University in the Office of Institutional Research, Planning, and Effectiveness. I'm Rich Lede. And I'm Wendy Broyles. Our guest today is Dr. Stephen Carmody. Dr. Carmody is Associate Professor of Anthropology at Troy University. Dr. Carmody is an anthropological archaeologist whose research focuses on the prehistoric use of plants in both religious and economic contexts in the southeastern United States. Dr. Carmody has worked on or led archaeological excavations in Alabama, South Carolina, Tennessee, and West Virginia, and he's also contributed to a major discovery regarding the history of tobacco use in North America. How would you, Dr. Carmody, how would you define culture? That's hard, right? So we, we have two definitions that we use in anthropology. Uh, one's a little more simple, one's a little more complex. One is just the simple, taken-for-granted day-to-day notions or activities, right, that kind of organize our lives, as opposed to kind of a classic anthropological definition that the morals and values and, and you know, all of the things that we think of as culture. So it's hard to define, and that's one of the problems with initiatives based on culture, because p- people from different disciplines see it very differently. And so as opposed to trying to define it, we approach it more from a, what are the characteristics? Hmm. Why is it important? How does it drive diversity? How do we understand that diversity to try to make the world a better place, right? For more people to accept diversity. So that all groups and all people and all cultures have the same things, uh, they're the same institutions, they look different. And a lot of times it's that, it's the what we see that we recognize as difference. But when we take a step back and say, in our culture, we have those same things, it makes it easier to understand something you see that you may not understand. So we approach it more from the, that kind of perspective. So could you give us an example of the something that looks different, but it's really not? I think religious pra- practices becomes okay. a big one, right? When early historians, geographers, travelers, explorers, whatever, came to North America and recorded things that they saw with uh, indigenous communities, they didn't understand it was religion, okay. right? And so that led to a lot of the poor treatment of, Na- of, of Native Americans that were here uh, because they were thought to be something very fundamentally different than Europeans. Okay. If, Europe- if those people who had come had understood that what they were looking at was a religious ceremony, a religious practice, a religious dance, and the ghost dance is kind of one of those classic examples we talk about where a group of Plains Indians started dancing and the soldiers thought it was an uprising, so they killed them all. And so those are the types of things that, if you understand, right, all groups have these commonalities, these, you know, central tenets in their, in their lives. Seeing things that we don't necessarily understand makes it a little more tolerable, I think. And that's one of the reasons I like anthropology so much. Um, I mean, I love what I do. I always tell my students that, but it's true. But I think there's a real value to being able to show people, right, like this what you see that you don't understand, you have too, and they don't understand it. And so we talk a lot about religious practices and rituals and things like that. Let's think about belonging. Mm-hmm. Do we decide we belong? 
Well, I think, I think it's that idea of culture that makes us feel like we belong. It makes us feel comfortable in the world that we live in because we understand these practices and rituals that, that we see around us, right? It makes us feel comfortable. And then that's why when we see things that we don't understand, it makes us feel uncomfortable. And so we get defensive and you have conflict. Mm-hmm. So, but I, so I think we, you know, we feel like we belong with people that we understand. So about a year ago, mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. was a, a news article about you had made this discovery, mm-hmm. tobacco mm-hmm. practices from 3,000 years ago. You're mm-hmm. the expert. I just yeah. Google searched it. No, um, <laughs> we work with a group that looks at the plants people smoked in the past because a lot of, a lot of those, those pipes and plants were used in religious ceremonies and then dating that material too. And so we found a pipe that we knew was, we knew was pretty old. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story previously was that tobacco made its way into North America about 2000 years ago, uh, which is a time when Native Americans were settling down. Mm-hmm. And it made sense because these were sedentary groups that were growing crops. And so you know, th- that all made sense to the story. But we found evidence for tobacco in a pipe that we, 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 we thought was older than 2000 years. It ended up being about 4,000 years. Wow. So it pushed the, the use of tobacco and our understanding of when tobacco made it to North America back about 2,000 years at a time when people were highly mobile. So mm. it doesn't necessarily fit the story of these kind of sedentary agriculturalists. But we know tobacco that was smoked here and found here made its way in from the Andes. And so lots of questions about how it got here and when it got here and how it was used and you know, based on all accounts, early European accounts, it was only used in religious, religious rituals and ceremonies. There were certain ways it was grown. There were all of these what I would call like um, religious recipes or prescriptions, the same things that you would see in a church ceremony today or a mass or, right? And so, again, that goes back to these ideas that, right, everybody's Native Americans had religion 3,000 years ago. We, and that, that's not necessarily a controversial idea in archaeology, but there is this question, how do you see religion in the mm-hmm. past, mm-hmm. right? If, if to say religion equals a church, that's easy today, but how do we see it in the past? Yeah. Uh, and so after the, the paper was published and you know, one of the tribal historic preservation officers for the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians made a statement for a couple of different organizations just talking about how these types of studies push these, these important spiritual practices back farther in the past. And so that's something, again, that gives them a little bit of control, again, over their narrative, which, you know, back to the kind of myth of the mound builder story in the beginning was taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have religion. Now we see it and can say, this is something that we, we, we all agree is something that would have been used in a religious ceremony. And so the dating of the tobacco was, you know, was one interesting piece of that, but kind of being able to push these practices back is significant to, you know, indigenous communities today. It gives them some, some of their agency back. Yes, exactly. Exactly. They can tell their own story now yeah. that's, a little bit stronger. And that's, that's powerful, exactly. you know, especially to groups who have been denied, you know, some of those, some of those stories about, about who they are. So, hmm. but it was found in Alabama. The pipe was from a site in North Alabama. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, you were saying earlier that, you know, we can do these research projects. We, not me, but <laughs> <laughs> anthropologists can do these research studies where you really plan to go and you look and you try to find something that solves a problem for today or mm-hmm. for the future. Mm-hmm. So what problem 
did it help to solve by dating this tobacco well, older? That, so that's a project that we were working on um, with the support of the Cherokee Indians. Okay. So they had, they had given us uh, financial funding, but it was something they were interested in. They were interested in knowing what we could learn from studying these pipe residues. So while that might not do much for us, that was, that was more of a, what do you want to see from these types of studies? Yeah. So there's a, there's a very contentious uh, history between anthropologists and archaeologists and indigenous communities because of some of the things we've talked about already. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so trying to build trust back to work with those partners you know, a lot of times you have to go and listen and ask them what they want to know and what yeah. they want to learn. And That's so, important. Yeah. And so that was one of those. It was a project I'd started as a graduate student, started going to Cherokee and to try to build a partnership. And they just got entered. The elders got interested in, you know, uh, what can we learn? What, what might you be able to tell us that we don't know our ancestors smoked? That's cool. Their story has always been tobacco. And so being able to say there's more than just tobacco Right, allows them to think about maybe some of those recipes. And again, that's, you know, all religions have, have some type of, you know, ritual prescription or recipe or formula, right? But any service you attend, you would see that. Mm-hmm. And so being able to go and say, no, it's not just this plant, it's some of these other plants too, right? That also shows Native Americans have been kind of reduced to tobacco and tobacco pipes, right? Mm-hmm. The Native American spirit cigarettes and Right, that's kind of been like their story. But to be able to say, no, 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 it's much more complex than that. Yeah. Right, really pokes holes in that myth of the mound builder. You're not smart enough to pile up dirt. And so I think it does. I think it kind of brings some more of that humanity. What they were doing with that pipe looks like things we do today in our religious ceremonies or in our doctor's offices, right? Medicine's being made. Mm-hmm. And that's how they would equate that is medicine. There's a level of sophistication that you know, they know is there, yeah. mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you're helping people find their agency mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that is, that is powerful, especially for indigenous persons. It's also, it's powerful for, that's bringing the humanity and, and looking at the individuals and adding that, that research element on top of it. It's, it's not that someone isn't going to f- have some competing research findings, but that yeah. now we're having a systematic conversation. Now we're having a scholarly discussion in part because, you know, we want to, we want to learn, we want to know things, but you know, we do want to improve the world and having, having the capacity to do research that then helps you're not rewriting their books. No, they have their books, Mm -hmm. but what you're doing is, you know, helping, helping other scholars understand, you know, or maybe helping change attitudes of the general public Mm -hmm. to realize, Oh, this is, an older tradition than we give credit. Yeah. It's, I, had, I had some students in my archaeology theory class last week read some articles from indigenous scholars, and that was the point. Like, you come up with these new jargony words <laughs> that are just what we've been saying forever, mm-hmm. right? So while you're talking to us, that's great, but when you come up with an idea and then give it this name and it becomes this thing, then you're taking it back from us again. Mm. Yeah. But that idea of culture and worldview is, is important. It's important. And not to see it and, and dismiss it. You know, not to see it and say, that's a cute story. That's really the way people see the world. Mm. And so when we, you know, when we teach about language, right, that there are, you know, thousands of languages spoken on the planet today and that each, re- each language represents a different reality 
a different culture. At least one. That's crazy. I mean, there are thousands and thousands, <laughs> yeah. right? And so understanding how to see that and identify that, I think there's a real value to trying to understand that, that they're not that different. Things look different, but they're not that different. So sometimes it's good to find commonality. You have to, right? In order to, yeah, to to get to that point of belonging. Like, okay, you guys are both from Louisiana. I'm from Alabama. I've always lived in Alabama, right? But that we're not that different. No. Right? No. It's, it's fine. We're both from the South. Yep. We're not that different. We, underst- we understand the concept of bayou and uh, <laughs> Cajun and... We stole Mardi Gras from you guys. Yeah, we made know, it real. We know good food. And <laughs> <laughs> but no, that but back, back to the idea of commonality and belonging, right? I think when we talk about you know trying to understand diversity in anthropology, mm-hmm. it's really not to understand the difference. It's to see the commonality. Right. It's to see the shared humanity. Yeah. It's to understand that they are just like us. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what we lack too much when we talk about culture change, you know, or or, the, or these cultural initiatives. Is is the attempt really just to make them like us oh, yeah. as opposed to are we willing to change? Mm. And so you can say all the right stuff in the meeting, but then when you walk out of the meeting, how do you spend the other 23 hours of your day, mm-hmm. right? Are you actually doing things any differently to try to affect that change? Or are the practices that you're you know, still going through these these kind of practices on a day-to-day basis, are they just producing the same results over and over again? Mm-hmm. So for me as an anthropologist, right, and the idea of studying all these different cultures, the way that we define people in our world is not the same in every world. You can go look at indigenous communities in North America, and this is where it gets kind of interesting, I think, for maybe people like, you know, indigenous communities that live in sovereign nations inside nation states, Mm -hmm. where people who have alternative lifestyles are, are held in higher esteem. Hmm. They're given positions of power in religious rituals and ceremonies because they're seen as being complete, not just being one or the other, but being both. Hmm. Again, in our world, that's from culture to culture, it looks very different. And and that's the importance of kind of understanding that narrative and understanding that perspective. Mm -hmm. Because we say a lot of things here, and when I say here, I mean Alabama, you know, whatever, you know, in the Western, right, that just don't make sense in other worlds. And you know, in intro, in introduction to anthropology, the first lecture, what is anthropology? Mm-hmm. The second, what is culture? And what are cultural universals? And what's the importance of understanding that? And I show the pictures, rituals, religious ceremonies from other cultures and say, like, this is what we do on Sunday, right? Like, it doesn't look like it, but so understanding that idea of cultural universals, right? Every culture has marriage of some type, but they all look very different, mm-hmm. right? And so how we define who's our family, they're different kinship systems from culture to culture. In some cultures, my brother's children would call me father. Hmm. Well, how does that change their world completely, right? How they see their world. And, and, and again, how does it change ours that my brother's kids aren't mine, right? Think of we have, you know, all ki- types of laws about who can marry and you know, first cousin, second, right? That's all predicated on a Western idea of what kinship looks like. Hmm. But that's just not the way the whole world operates. So what ages we allow people to get married today in other parts of the world, that's it's not the same, right? So all of these all these institutions, marriage, church, right, look different from place to place. And so to me, that value in understanding it is that maybe it takes the temperature down a little bit, and mm-hmm. that might just be enough. That might be enough to say, okay, right, 
I don't understand it, but I kind of understand it. Well, some people right? see yeah. beauty in that diversity, mm-hmm. and, oh. and others see a threat in right. that diversity. Well, but we can't assume the way to li- like the way we live is the only way to live. Right. Right. It's a way to live. Right. Our kinship systems, our marriage. Right. But it's, but you, you quickly learn when you kind of move from place to place, in culture to culture, that that's just not. You know, right now it is the dominant cultural ideology in this part of the world. Doesn't mean it's always going to be, but that's what that's why our laws are the way. Why, why do we have laws of you know, not having to change the way you live, but being open to say, well, life over here is very different from my life, right? And, and that's so, okay. and then that's okay, right? They're not trying to infringe upon us, like, but they just see the world very differently. How mm-hmm. they how they conceptualize themselves in the same space we're in but how it's been organized over time. And so, you know, I tell my students, we, we, have to, we have to kind of move away from using right and wrong. Right. Right and wrong implies that we know the best way. Mm-hmm. And maybe we do. I don't know. But I, well, I don't. I don't like to think that. So, <laughs> Well, and if you're interested in working in intercultural settings, mm-hmm. working with people from different cultural backgrounds, if you expect to be able to build rapport, mm-hmm and partner with people, then you're going to have to have an open mind. Yeah. You know, you not just an open mind to be put in that situation to begin with, but an, a, a mind that's open enough and willing to partner. Mm-hmm. To, to, you have to want to build rapport. And I think, I think you, have to be, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's you have to be vulnerable and you have to be uncomfortable being comfortable. Here yeah. in a university, our students are here because they want I mean, we have to expose them to ideas they're not comfortable with. Right. I think we—it's ha- part of—it's part of life, you know, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. It doesn't have to compromise oneself. We need to take away. Like, if there's one thing that people take away from what you shared with us today, is there any one thing you would want people to definitely know and take with them? I don't know. I just think that idea that understanding there are multiple ways that people live in this world, mm-hmm. and that's okay, and that we have to be comfortable with that. There's a value to understanding it, and that culture is this hard-to-define thing, but it's real. Our guest for this episode of Culture and Belonging has been Dr. Stephen Carmody, Associate Professor of Anthropology at Troy University. We hope that you'll subscribe to the Culture and Belonging podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And get involved by tweeting us at BelongingPod. For our next episode, we'd like you to tell us about a time you experienced culture shock in a new environment and how you handled it. We'll read the most outstanding answer at the end of episode four. Culture and Belonging is produced by Troy University in the studios of Troy Public Radio by Austin Toy and Joy Hudson with help from Kyle Gassett. So until next time, I'm Wendy Broyles. And I'm Rich Lede, And this is Culture and Belonging. <laughs>